Texas can get pretty daggum cold. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ofstrom. There are many symbols of Texas. The Lone Star, the Alamo, the Oil Derrick. All are evocative of the great state. But just as iconic is the hardy breed of cattle that is forever linked with the cowboy culture of Texas in the 1800s. Today we take a look at another legend of Texas, the Texas Longhorn. But first, what's your favorite cut of steak? Well, I'm going to go with the beautiful and tender filet. Love it. Filet's good. You know, I think there's nothing more iconic than a beautiful T-bone and a thick cut porterhouse at that. Oh, that combines the filet and the T-bone. Yeah. I have tried uh, many different steaks in my life, but I always come back to the ribeye. Um usually cooked over an open flame. Bone in or out? Um, you know, usually it's with bone out, but uh, I'll take it either way. Delicious. Makes me hungry. And if you want to know more about Texas Steak, well, get yourself to iTunes and download the wonderful song called Eat Steak by the Reverend Horton Heat. <laughs> Perhaps the oldest continuous industry in Texas is the cattle industry. Cattle ranches have been in Texas for nearly as long as there's been a Texas. The first conquistadors and Spanish explorers who came through northern Mexico and Texas brought cattle with them. Raising cattle on an open range is itself a Spanish tradition that was carried to Texas by the early missions and presidios. One of the very first large cattle ranches in Texas was located at the Mission La Bahia at Goliad in the 1700s. In the southern part of the province, along the Rio Grande, Huge land grants were given to Spanish families, and these families became the cornerstone of Tejano culture in Texas. Through it all, hardy breeds descended from the ancient cattle introduced to Spain by the Moors were brought into the New World and found their way to Texas. Over the centuries, these cattle escaped or were turned loose on the open range where they grew feral and they continued to evolve. In the 1830s, Anglo-American settlers began to come to Texas for the first time. The early settlers were farmers, not ranchers, but they recognized that large areas of available land were best utilized by grazing livestock. After the Texas Revolution, larger Anglo ranches started to develop. After annexation by the United States, these Texan ranches stretched further and further into the frontier. These new American settlers brought in English breeds of cattle, which mixed with the feral Spanish cattle that ranged along the Rio Grande to birth the legendary Texas Longhorn. The Longhorn evolved by the 1850s into one of the toughest, most resilient breeds of cattle in the world. They were large, tireless, lean, and tough. They could subsist on the barest pastures in the worst weather. They could resist most cattle diseases, and they lived much longer than other breeds. They could resist the frequent droughts and the stresses of the environment better than just about any other animal in history. They got their name from their characteristic horns that could stretch as far as seven feet wide. The Longhorn is unique because it was the only breed of cattle that truly adapted, on its own, to the American landscape. By the 1860s, there were huge herds of feral Longhorns just there for the taking. Of course, taking them wasn't always easy. In addition to their hardiness, 
Longhorns were well known for being mean and aggressive. Their huge horns were weapons evolved for their protection. In his classic book about the history of the Longhorns, J. Frank Doby describes this scene told about a rancher named Noah Smithick and his herd of domesticated cattle. Quote, Two of the Longhorn bulls took up with Smithick's cattle and became quite domesticated. About the same time, lobo wolves began to depredate. When the milk cows and other gentle stock were attacked, they would try to get to the house. The wild cattle, on the other hand, would form a ring around their calves and, presenting a line of horns, would fight those lobos off. That's awesome. <laughs> Depredate. To plunder or lay waste to. Prey upon. Pillage. Ravage. These animals didn't just survive, they thrived. It's been estimated that by 1860, between 4 and 6 million wild longhorn cattle could be found in Texas. In the years before the Civil War, Texas ranchers began to gather and domesticate the longhorns and supply them to eastern markets by driving them to Galveston, New Orleans, and later to Missouri. During the war itself, longhorn cattle were the major source of meat for Confederate forces, even after the Union cut off Texas from the other southern states by closing the Mississippi River. These early drives showed that, unlike other breeds, the longhorns could be driven for long distances without much, if any, loss of weight. In fact, many of them gained weight as they passed through areas with better grazing than their traditional haunts in South Texas. It was after the war, though, that the longhorn really came into its own. The post-war population boom and the demand for meat in the eastern United States saw a huge rise in the demand for beef, and soon Texas ranchers were sending their huge herds north, first to Sedalia, Missouri, and then to Kansas to meet the railroads. The next 20 years were the glory years of cattle ranching and cowboy culture, the era of the cattle drive. Cowboys would gather herds of longhorns in the south and central Texas ranches and head north along one of the trails. The Shawnee, Chisholm, Preston, and Western Trails went north, past the Red River into Indian Territory, and into Missouri and Kansas. They went to towns like Sedalia, Abilene, and Dodge City. Other trails, like the Goodnight Loving Trail, went west into New Mexico before turning north for Fort Sumter, Denver, and Cheyenne. All of these trails eventually reached a railhead, where longhorns were loaded onto trains and shipped back to the great slaughterhouses in Chicago or St. Louis and on to meet the voracious demand in the eastern United States. By 1895, it is estimated that 10 million head of cattle were driven out of Texas. This boom was hugely profitable for both the ranchers and the cowboys and was a major factor in restoring Texas' economy after the Reconstruction. Many veterans of the war and young men needing work could find it all on the trail, and many fortunes were made by enterprising individuals who only needed to round up a couple hundred head of ornery, tough, wild longhorns and drive them north to Kansas. In the end, like all booms, though, this couldn't last forever. Some of the seeds for the end of cattle drives were literally there from the start. As early as 1861, it was recognized that longhorns carried a deadly disease with them, a disease that they were immune to, but which they easily and fatally passed along to other cattle they encountered in northern states. Texas fever, as it was called, ended up getting the cattle markets in Missouri shut down and Longhorns banned from the state. The eastern counties of Kansas followed suit after the war, but demand was high enough to keep the western cow towns open to Longhorns for several decades. To protect their cattle, states along the trails passed quarantine laws routing cattle away from settled areas or restricting the passage of herds to the winter months. 
when there was less danger from Texas fever. It was spread by ticks. However, in 1885, Kansas totally outlawed the driving of Texas cattle across its borders. This ban was an important factor in ending the Texas cattle trailing industry, although it wasn't the only one. Even without Texas fever, the days of the cattle drive were numbered. In the 1870s, the Comanche were finally driven into reservations for good, and the buffalo herds declined, opening up far west Texas and the panhandle to settlement. Soon, cattle ranches sprang up there, and longhorns were used to stock them. But the days of the open range soon came to an end with the spread of barbed wire. The 1885 and 1886 winters were particularly harsh, even for Longhorns, and it's believed as many as 75% of the stock of North and West Texas ranches died. The wild herds of the South were long gone, and with the depletion of the domestic herds, Texas ranchers turned to other breeds. This was just as well because the demand for tallow made from cattle fat was higher than it was for meat. The Longhorns were tough animals, but they made for lean, tough, stringy meat. Fencing made it possible to control breeding, and it was more economically feasible to raise cattle that developed faster than longhorns. In the end, longhorns were bred almost out of existence by the end of the century. Only a few small herds remained. But, in 1927, the Texas longhorn was saved from probable extinction by the United States Forest Service, who collected a small herd of breeding stock in South Texas for the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge in Oklahoma. A few years later, Texas historian and folklorist J. Frank Doby, Range Inspector Graves Pilar, and oilman Sid Richardson gathered small herds for Texas state parks. Soon these animals, in a protected environment, thrived, and surplus animals were auctioned off to Texas cattlemen. These cattlemen soon rediscovered the longhorn's longevity, resistance to disease, fertility, ease of calving, and the ability to thrive on marginal pastures, and began crossbreeding them with other cattle. Thanks to cattle dips invented by Bob Kleberg, the famous owner of the King Ranch in South Texas, as well as more recent cattle vaccinations, the Texas fever, which is now known to be a bacteria spread by ticks, is largely eradicated. Today, there are a number of herds of purebreed Texas longhorns. These herds are an important link to Texas's past and represent a living heritage for its future. Frank Doby later wrote his magnificent history of this great symbol of Texas, the Texas Longhorn made more history than any other breed of cattle the civilized world has known. His book is a classic piece of Texas literature, and it did more than anything to both popularize the myth and legend of the animal to a new generation of people and to create an interest in the breed's preservation. He wrote, quote, however supplanted or however disparaged by evolving standards and generations, he will remain the bedrock in picturesqueness and romantic realism, his name is destined for remembrance as long as the memory of man travels back to those pristine times when waters ran clear, when green grass waved a carpet over the face of the earth, and America's man on horseback, not a helmet but a booted cowboy, rode over the rim with all abandon, insolence, pride, carelessness, and confidence, epitomizing the booming West. The Texas Longhorn. Yeah. That Dobie had a way with words, he did. didn't he? He did. Yeah. He did. My favorite thing about the Longhorn of all the stuff, and I don't think we ever, I don't know if we ever had an official source, but I know it was a story you'd found, Sean, about uh, a Longhorn defeating a bear that was actually, in combat. Yeah, that was actually a, um, there was actually a scene in the book, the Pulitzer Prize winning book Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, which is one of but my- it's based on a real story. Yeah, it's it? based on real stories that those, those Longhorns, 
they'd fight off wolves and they'd fight off bears. And there's a there's a scene in the book. It's not in the miniseries uh, at all. It should be, but it's it's not where a bear attacks the herd and this this mean mean alpha bull that they have just goes to town on this bear and gets one of its horns knocked off and blinded, but he wins the battle. He kills the bear. The, you know, the, the thing about those, those animals is, is that, uh, it's a, it's a myth. And, uh, I was guilty of it for a while, uh, to think that, you know, cows in general are just not that smart, but, uh, I'm, <laughs> well, no, I mean, you think it's a cow, it's a big, it's mm-hmm. a big dumb animal. It right. grazes and it eats yeah. and it just, it gets on the truck and then it goes and it becomes a hamburger. But uh, I met somebody, and he said, you know, there, there's actually there, there's a lot of subtleties to the animals. They all have personalities. And if you actually work with them, uh, you know, and he was talking about all these different and interesting uh, traits and habits they have and personalities they exude. But these guys are just uh, tough hombres. I mean, the, the Longhorn is just an incredible, um, is just an incredible animal. Yeah. I think there is some irony in the fact that Oklahoma saved the Longhorn in some ways. Yeah. And so to you, OU, Oklahoma University people, uh, you can hold that over uh, UT people anytime you feel like it. That There would be no there'd be no Bevo if it wasn't for Oklahoma. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Well, you think you can't separate cattle from Texas. And I think yeah. like, the, like the, you know, and I, I love the idea that like this is the truly only domestic american breed of cattle that has just that evolved on its own it's its only yeah yeah, it wasn't a breed that we intentionally bred right Mm -hmm. it was it was its own breed that became created through its own own means and that's that's remarkable and uh, and and the longhorn did spread throughout the the southwest there were longhorns in california and stuff but the texas longhorn was kind of unique in its in its uh its distinction of being being so hardy and tough and I think it's a symbol of Texans in that, you know, we, we came to this land and not all of Texas is a, is a garden paradise. I mean, there's a lot of Texas that is, <laughs> that is wonderful, but not all of Texas is this, this perfect place to live. And at the time it was a very difficult to place to live, yeah. place to live in, it's, you know, with the Indians and the, mm-hmm. the conflict with Mexico and the weather and, you know, the weather in Texas will change on a dime. And, yeah. and uh, you know, you think Texas is always hot, but then you have to only go through one northern, uh, one really bad blizzard in the winter to know well, Texas can get pretty daggum cold. Well, I think, yeah. too, the other thing is, is uh, you know, and we, there's so, it's interesting, it's so cross-linked to so many episodes. I think if you go back and you look at uh, the Pan Maria episode we did, uh, which is one of our very earliest episodes, you know, talked about that horrific drought in South Texas, and it talked about sort of the, the arid and the limited conditions there. And it's like, well, this is where this animal really thrived. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so telling that, yeah, you took these things out of Texas and man, they got fat. Like they get, <laughs> <laughs> they really, they really pack on the pounds yeah. when they actually can eat real grass. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, 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 it's, it's such a miracle that this animal was saved through these conservation efforts. Yeah. Uh, it would, it would be a tragedy I mean, we talk about like the buffalo and the loss of the buffalo, but I think as a as a real Texan, like the thought of just like that a, a longhorn would just be something that was a picture in a book that you showed your kids. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and I think they had a stuffed one at the Hall of Horns. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of like skulls and horns around. But uh, well, you know, there's there's plenty of them that are on the on the like the front of Cadillacs at Oldman Drive, right? Well, yeah, in, Bo- right. in Boss Hog, <laughs> Boss Hog from the Duke's Hazardy, right there. That's probably our most recognizable one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just it's a cool it's a it's, it's a cool living link to history, and you look at these animals and you go, wow, you know, tough, industrious, and just you know they they embody not only. They not only are from Texas, they are of Texas. You know, they have all of those yeah. elements and, and aspects that I think we pridefully uh, celebrate about being Texas. Yeah, and it, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of a bovine version of a Texas ranger. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think another remarkable thing is, is, is it, they, they predate oil, but, but they are this, they're this resource that was there, you know, and all mm. you needed to do is is go out on your horse, uh, and you could go round up some cattle, some some longhorns, and mm-hmm. you could steer them north to Kansas and sell them, and become a become wealthy. I mean, that's how Goodnight became wealthy. You know, giving good night yeah. loving is they just cut out some cattle from the South Texas herds and. They took him north, you know. John Wesley Harden didn't need to steal any cattle. All he had to really do yeah. was go run round up some longhorns. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's interesting, too, though, that the origin of the longhorn owes, you know, a lot to the original Spanish yes. cattle that were brought in. So just like many other things in Texas, the root of a big part of our culture comes from the early Spanish That's settlers. That's right. That's correct, and, and they've done some genetic testing on on purebreded longhorns, and found that uh, their ancestors, uh, very small percentage of their ancestors, is the English cattle. The larger portion of their ancestry is is ancient aurochs from uh, the Middle East and India. So these these cattle, their provenance came came way back from the most ancient of times. So that's that's yep. pretty remarkable that you can trace that genetic link all the way back. Truly, Science. they are the cattle of kings. They are. They really are. <laughs> and the kings of cattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, if you, uh, I know everybody thinks of Texas as, as just being cattle and cowboy hats, but it is a big part of our history. So, yeah, you know, uh, really, uh, next time you see a longhorn, maybe not give it a hug. But just maybe a thumbs up from but, a distance. But if you see a longhorn chair, <laughs> yeah. So if you see a longhorn, give him a giggle. Yeah, is that what yeah, you're saying? Exactly. Uh, n- <laughs> if you see a longhorn chair, go have a seat on it. <laughs> yeah, I well, I remember uh, in my grandfather's store when I was a kid. He had this is uh, apropos of nothing, but it just always <laughs> made me laugh. It had a sign. It had a picture, and you saw this big bull out in the field, and it had a sign on the fence, and it, the sign on the fence said. Uh, don't cross this field unless you can do it in 9.9 seconds. <laughs> the bull can do it in 10. <laughs> nice. So, um, but uh, man, this just makes, this is just, yet again, uh, much like the barbecue episode, this just makes me hungry. The beer episode makes me thirsty. Dr. Pepper episode <laughs> made me thirsty. Uh, and now I'm ready for a steak. <laughs> yeah, and so you can actually get um, Longhorn steaks now uh, because... Huh. Because they're they're kind of popular because they're very lean. Uh, they naturally, come back into fashion yeah, like the buffalo. Yeah, they're very mm-hmm. naturally lean, and so you can actually get you can you know it's kind of hard to find, but you can get longhorn steaks at, at some health food stores and stuff. So nothing is hard to find on the internet. That's Sean. right. Last story. Um, 
person I talked to who uh, listens to the show was uh, told me a couple of interesting cattle stories. His grandfather, I suppose, was a ornery and tough as these longhorn cattle, apparently, and uh, he told the story of as a boy, he was responsible for doing the putting the cattle through the dip, and so the dip is essentially. Uh, it's it's like just a basically sort of a basin with slope sides and you you walk the cattle in one end and then they they walk through it and then when they come out the other side and and it's a it's a submersion bath and they basically walk through a submerged bath that's filled with um poison to kill any ticks and things on them and so i guess when he was a a, a young tough boy he was dipping the cattle as you do every year and uh, some of the cattle wouldn't go through the dip so he would just grab a He'd grab a lead, and he would just drag them, you know, lead them through the dip tray. And so after five or six pass, passes through the uh, through the dip, uh, all the cattle were... But he'd, he'd been physically in the dip, which you've never... Humans aren't supposed to be in that. And uh, as a boy, he got very sick, but somehow didn't die, which I think is just a testament to the, to the toughness of people. <laughs> um, so uh, dipping cattle, dangerous business. Uh, best not left to children. Uh, but... Uh, modern OSHA laws and all that. You too could uh, purchase either a whole carcass or side of Longhorn for uh, $8.25 per pound. Let's let's throw out, what, what's this website? Let's throw out a, a free plug. BanderaGrassland.com Well, here you go. I'll, I'll do you one better. Getz Cattle Company in Winnie, Texas. You can get a Ooh. variety pack of Longhorn meat. It's six packages of hamburgers, uh, hamburger meat, which is ground meat, one package of T-bones, one package of ribeye, one sirloin, one package of cutlets, one roast, and choice of liver, soup bones, or stew meat for $100. There you go. That's a that's a really— It's not a I'm, bad deal for that much. Not a bad deal. At, this, at the prices of today's beef, that's not a bad deal. All and right. What's that, what's that link? Uh, this is GetsLonghornBeef.com. So a free, a free shout-out to a fine Texas— cattle company that is preserving our heritage if you if you if you buy from them let us tell them that uh come and take it so yeah. Hear about it. yeah hey and if you're a, if you've got a fun cattle story or uh maybe you've got some longhorn cattle yourself feel free to send us some pics give us a drop us a line let us know what's uh what's going on give us your fun texas cattle story that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com why not buy some delicious beef? We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can also find our show in many of the great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean, two ends. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love the show. We know you love Texas. So tell everyone you know and go to iTunes and leave a review. That helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.